Welcome to Series 7 of the Lawyers Coach Podcast. My name is Claire Rayson, and each episode of this podcast will feature myself and Oliver Hansard, both of us coaches and former lawyers, trying to find out what makes lawyers tick. In this series, we will be hearing from various guests and experts to talk about the billable hour. And then, at the end of each episode, we will both be reflecting on what they said. The Lawyers Coach podcast is brought to you by Client Talk and Hansard Coaching. In this episode, Ollie spoke to Daniel Martin. Daniel is a partner and head of the business crime and regulation team at JMW Solicitors. Ollie spoke to Daniel about the billable hour. They thought about the different options available to clients and in particular the impact of transparency and at the end thought about how hard it is to move away from what is something that is quite ingrained in the way lawyers work. But first, Ollie asked Daniel what got him into law in the first place. I, I got asked this question recently about why I originally became a lawyer and I, I couldn't actually recall. I think it was just because I thought I could get paid to argue with people. Uh, <laughs> Brilliant. And as a teenager, that seemed pretty perfect. But no, I, I, I had always had an interest in it, um, in becoming a lawyer. Um, although I can't recall why I did a, I did my A-level law sort of in the evenings at college because I couldn't do it because my school didn't do law. So I must have, you know, had my eye on that as a career from, from quite early on. So having done A-level law, you went on to university. So was that kind of doubling up? when you were doing your degree then? You know, A-level um, law is just a taster really, but it, but it definitely gave me a grounding in criminal law, which was the, which was the subject that I really loved um, right from the off. Um, I really enjoyed that all the way through university. Um, and then I qualified uh, at a firm in Thames Valley, um, which was sort of a traditional uh, legal aid criminal team. Um, and I actually ended up sort of rising to head of that criminal department um, and also became the compliance officer for that firm. And that's when I was approached by um, JMW about taking up a role in their London office, um, which was just over two years ago. And what kinds of um, crime are you involved in? White collar or, or the full range? So my team uh, does, it's very sort of broad church. We do everything from sort of general crime right through to corporate crime, uh, regulatory investigations, corporate investigations, private prosecutions, which is, a, which is a real growth area for us, as well as regulatory and compliance advice and support for businesses. And so what are your sources of work? Do you do the traditional, you know, down to the, the police station type work or, or does it come in a different form? Uh, we certainly do do represent clients who are being interviewed at the police station. It's not the same sort of model that we used to have where we would be, um, uh, you know, going out in the middle of the night um, and attending the police station because of a duty right. contract call. We are only privately instructed. The interviews that we deal with are by invitation, normally speaking, um, and it's, it's generally in scenarios which are involving allegations of fraud business crime, regulatory, health and safety, that sort of thing. The investigative process is, is normally much more drawn out. There's many stages to it. There might be multiple interviews. 
um, over the course of several years, all of which, you know, you prepare in great detail for. So it's quite a different approach to that sort of traditional criminal team who might be sort of responding to a call from the police station at 2am and having to go out in the middle of the night. So, so you must be in with clients in, t- in moments of intense pressure um, and stress. Is, is that commonplace in, in what do you experience in terms of delivering your, your services? Absolutely. I think ours is, is one area. Um, divorce, uh, family and divorce might be another, um, potentially employment as well, where you meet people at times of really, really difficult, you know, periods in their life. Mm. Um, when they're under intense pressure, they might have other considerations like family members who don't know what is going on. And so you're potentially the only person that they're really talking to, uh, about these things and and so yeah it's it's an intense it can be a very very intense situation i can imagine so so how do you build that relationship there's obviously a very personal one but needs to be strong in order to get the result the desired result i think it comes down to experience um certainly when you've been doing kind of work for as long as i have um clients understand that you know what you're talking about um and that you are giving you know sound tactical advice perhaps uh, steering them in a different direction than they instinctively want to go in over time that you know through that process you build trust so there has to be you know a really high degree of trust between you and the client and i think that you earn that through being able to demonstrate um essentially that your experience and your knowledge in this area will tell um to their benefit during the course of the investigation and then at some point you need to to bill and collect the, the fees from the client. So how do you think about, you know, one of the things we're interested in this series of the podcast is approaches to billing. And here there's the potential, I would have thought of at an hourly rate, heavy costs there. How do you think about that in those very stressful situations to charge in a fair way? Yeah, it's difficult. Um, again, this is something that comes from the experience. It's quite often when I was um, growing up in the, the sector, um, I knew very, very good criminal lawyers who were technically good at their job, but they weren't particularly commercial in the way that they carried on their practice and found it difficult to have those conversations with clients about costs. And, you know, it is a tricky one because sometimes you're going to have to flip from, you know, discussing something which is really upsetting or really um, challenging to having a conversation about, you know, costs and how you manage the situation financially as well. And so that can sometimes be you know, sensitive. Ultimately, it's it's really important to have clear advice, clear expectations uh, around um, the costs involved. And I find actually that clients just really appreciate having more detail, uh, more explanation around uh, the way that we charge and and um, uh, what to expect. And also, um, they value the, the service that they've received uh, for that. And so what does that look like? Is that regular updates or is it saying, well, we're going to charge in a particular way for a particular part of the process? What what different tools have you used to be transparent? Well, we always try and I, I, I always look at things and, and the way that I train my team to look at things is to look at the phases of an engagement um, and, and really sort of itemize out all of the different things that we should be thinking about and should be doing. Um, and try as best as you can to give a sort of really clear itemized cost estimate 
based around an hourly rate in terms of what that's going to look like um, for, for the phase in front of you. Um, the way that litigation works, it's very difficult actually to say, right, by the end of this case, you're going to spend X or Y because there are so many variables during the course of a case that it makes it very difficult to accurately predict the end result is going to be, um, let alone how much you know it's going to cost to get to that point. So, um, But what you can do if you spend the time thinking about it is fairly accurately forecast what's going to be involved in the next phase of proceedings. Um, so everything that you can see and and, and anticipate at that stage. Um, so we try and do that. We try and do that early on so that clients have that information up front. But we also, you know, try and uh, have conversations early on about what options are potentially available to the client, what, op- you know, different fee options we can offer the client that might suit, you know, suit their personality, suit their um, priorities um, better. And some examples of the different options that might exist? We are certainly trying to build on and develop sort of smarter options that complement different clients needs rather than having a one-size-fits-all hourly rate approach so the thing you know ultimately the thing we sell is expertise it's measured in time so fundamentally the hourly rate sort of underpins everything else um, that we do but the options that we sort of rely on quite heavily are uh, fixed fees there's variants of of the fixed fee but that option um, gives clients real sort of price certainty, certainly over the next phase of proceedings. And we've oh, so you might break it down, you know, in block <laughs> by block of the fixed fee. Yeah, absolutely. So it, as I was saying, it's, it's sort of looking at what we can accurately predict, uh, you know, uh, which is over the horizon at the moment, and and itemising and, and estimate that fairly accurately and they're not offering a fixed fee option through to the end of that phase of work it's been heavily adopted in my team clients really like the structure and certainty um, and it allows us to sort of calibrate our resources to what the client can afford as well i also personally do a, a lot of work in the area of financial services investigations advising um, finance professionals and traders where we use a concept called hours bundles or hours bundling. Okay. Um, and that seems to be quite popular. And it works well where you're collaborating very closely with another team. So in those types of cases, finance professionals, it's generally in a scenario where there's possibly an employment dispute or investigation, which has regulatory or, or even potentially criminal implications. So I'll be working hand in glove with one of my colleagues from the employment team. So what you can do there is you can agree a a blended hourly rate between the two of you, which will apply for, for both of you and offer but sort of hours bundles. And then the client then has the flexibility and will, will benefit from a discount if they want to sort of block book additional hours. And so there's a, there's a cost saving to the client and it's then up to them how they use that time between the two teams. And that works? Works okay. really well. And it's simple. Um, which clients like. The trick is to just be over the detail, I suppose, and, and be able to give the client a clear um, update as to you know how, how that time is being used um, and when you're approaching then you know the, the end of the the hours bundle, for example, and they can consider whether you know too much time is being spent on one aspect and not enough on another. But it seems to work really well. It's been very popular since we implemented that, um, and, and we found you know lots of people electing for that option. 
Fantastic. And is there technology that you could introduce that might reduce the billing or, or make it more cost effective on, on both sides? You know, I'm a fan of technology. Anything that cuts down the time that lawyers spend on certain tasks um, can only be a good thing. Ultimately, that's going to reduce costs for clients. So, you know, a legal, I'm, I'm a big fan of legal tech and where that can be used appropriately. A lot of what we do, though, is very strategic not particularly heavily process driven or document heavy um certainly in terms of producing or reviewing documents in the early stages so that sort of thing it requires a human touch and and there isn't a huge amount of latency there to cut down through the use of technology if you see what i mean okay Um, so you don't do a lot of discovery type work or document management type work it's that can come that comes for you know can come yeah later in big investigations where you start using things specific um, document review software but um certainly in the in the sort of early part of uh, investigations that aren't sort of heavily you know complex fraud or or anything like that there isn't a huge amount of scope for using technologies to to cut down time other than you know the sort of e-discovery software which can sometimes play a part but but no it, it's quite it's quite heavy in terms of the human element as there's a growth in, in regulation more generally, particularly on businesses, does that mean that this is a growth area for you and, and JMW in terms of a focus area for the business? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the government are, are looking at new areas to regulate um, always, and, and there's new corporate offences on the horizon. There's always something happening, um, you know, in this in this space, and rightly as well. I mean that. Post Brexit, there was discussion about whether we're going to deregulate, but really, I don't see that as being hugely likely. Um, I think people recognise that, you know, particularly, uh, well, in most industries and finance, for example, you know, regulation is incredibly important and really benefits society as a whole. So, I think that regulatory work, yeah, will continue to be a growth area. We've sort of quite successfully diversified our services to really offer out our experience and expertise in investigations, fast-paced, stressful litigation to other areas that straddle criminal and regulatory law as well. So we, we try and work closely with other teams, personal and commercial teams and other disciplines um, and provide sort of wraparound service for our clients. So that's something that you know, I've been really keen to, to build in my team um, is, is the ability for our criminal and regulatory lawyers to to think outside the box and you know be more agile and, and dynamic in the way that they deliver advice to clients and it, it really works in a in a sort of multi-service firm such as ours anything but traditional crime team in that sense because there are so many facets to the type of work you do you need support from other parts of the business we offer support to other parts of the business as well so okay you know, quite often a fair chunk of our work comes from other teams coming to us with, you know, specific queries or, or wanting us to um, collaborate on something or, or, you know, provide advice or support on, on, on an element which, you know, strays into the regulatory sphere. Do you get many repeat clients? So in a traditional um, sort of legal aid criminal practice, you will have, um, there's a concept called own client, um, you will have re- repeat clients and you know people unfortunately who um sort of find themselves stuck in the criminal justice system 
that's not very common in our line of work because we're uh, private only and because of the nature of the, the work that we do it tends to be where, when we're dealing in gen, general criminal offenses it tends to be people who are being charged for the first time okay um, and possibly the only time in their life um and so um we don't tend to see necessarily repeat general criminal instructions from someone but what we do see is that person and, and actually in the firm we've done some analysis around um you know clients who instruct one team and go on to instruct others and in in business crime regulation our clients tend to be very high on the list of if not at the top of the list of clients who go on and instruct other teams within the firm um to do other other things you know other parts of of their life uh, whether it's conveyancing whether it's you know divorce whether it's business uh, related whether it's employment so um and that stems i think from the trust that you build up with your lawyers so i never thought of that as, a, as a, you know your your line of work being an entry point into the broader firm it, it seems to be that way and I, I was quite surprised by that analysis when i first went through it but actually it made sense to me when i thought about it afterwards because when you've had to go through that process with a firm and or, or with you know with a solicitor and you've built up that level of trust it, it makes sense doesn't it um absolutely to then feel feel comfortable and have that person on your side within the business as well so i quite often act as a sort of relationship manager for people who have gone on to you know do other things within the within the firm um and just be there as a sort of continued support as a way so that's great for the business but it makes your job in finding the the, the clients for, for you that makes it quite tough because as you say you, you they generally it's a one-off with them so there's a one-off relationship that you have that, that, and they, that gets resolved in some form and you move on. So, you know, your business development remains challenged, one would have thought. It's true. So, I mean, you do have, you, you have the odd, you know, repeat client who might do, you might have separate aspects to their case or it might be a regulatory matter where there are, you know, different businesses involved or something like that. But, but yeah, it does tend to be a, a sort of a single cycle. But what, what that does mean is if you have done a really good job and, you know, leave that person in a, in a better position and you found them, well, well, hopefully they will go on and, you know, recommend you to others. And we get a lot of sort of word of mouth recommendation. We get a lot of external referrals who come through other businesses that we've dealt with. So for example, forensic accountants or um, tax advisors or whoever else that we've worked with on a case and they, when, when it's come up in the future and someone's needed representation, they will say, well, you know, we know a really good team um, who we can comfortably sort of recommend you to. So we see a lot of referrals coming in that way. And also from within the internal market within JMW. So in London, there's a sort of you know, booming internal market because we've got I think the last count, something like 16 practice areas um, and people have sort of regulatory criminal issues coming up quite a lot, you know, particularly in business, but often in their personal lives or someone that they know, someone within their family circle or friends who they want to take care of and place with someone that they trust. So um, those internal referrals um, make up a, a large degree of our um, work as well.
This has been fascinating. Thank you very much. My last question is really, look, you, you've got so much going on in the London office. You've got um, change in regulation all the time. Have you ever been able to to really stop and think, you know, at some point what success might might feel like for you? I feel like I've already achieved more than I necessarily thought I would do when I started out. So everything from here on in is a, is a bonus, really. <laughs> um, I've been lucky in my career to catch breaks at the right times and um i just think that success for for me really is it's just continuing to grow my team trying to evolve and improve as a, a lawyer myself and as a professional ultimately just to continue enjoying what i'm doing brilliant thank you you've been a fantastic guest daniel thanks ever so much for coming on to the podcast your time's really appreciated no problem thank you very much for having me so that was ollie talking to daniel martin oliver what a great conversation. I particularly enjoyed Daniel's reflections on transparency. Yes, I got, I got a real sense of him trying to give clients as many options and, and, and trying to be as transparent as he possibly could when, he, when he's dealing with, with billing. You know, he deals with, with clients in really tough corners in terms of the criminal litigation that they're involved in and, and trying to break down the, uh, the challenges and the billing associated with the different stages. You know, I got that real sense of trying to be sensible in the way of, of dealing with the fees. And where did you sense that pressure's coming from? Do you think that's coming from the clients themselves internally, somewhere else? I think really it's the reality of the type of practice he has where he's got clients in very stressful situations, often the first time they would ever have been in any sort of criminal situation, really trying to be on their side, be with them step by step through the process, but also be kind in terms of how to deal with the fees associated with the um, with the issues that they face. And what did you make of his idea or thoughts around bundling hours? I thought that was really clever because to give a blended hour rate and say, okay, look, to deal with this range of challenges that that you have, here's a fixed rate. And as, as we go through the process, we we draw down out of that bundle. I think that gives a client a lot more control and a lot better visibility in terms of the fees, you know, again, when they're under often extreme pressure. And do you think there's a temptation there to try and make sure that the person that's delivering is there for you know on the lower end of the of the the, the scale there are advantages and disadvantages to that i guess I, I think it's about being fair both ways the client needs that expert um to help them through the process i i got a sense of a lot of what he does and what his team does is about being is offering that support at those critical critical moments so that you need to be fair in terms of the expertise that is being delivered, but also fair in terms of the fees charged. So it's a real balance, I think, through the, through the whole process. And maybe that goes for all legal transactions, I suppose. And is that something that you would have welcomed when you were in, in-house? Absolutely. For me, the key thing is breaking it down into stages and not getting that massive bill at the end. And I think that's something that, that Daniel's approach and that blended hours bundling approach addresses quite neatly. So, Oli, thanks so much for talking to Daniel. It was a really great conversation. Thanks, Claire. So I do hope you join us for the next episode where I am going to be speaking to Adam Morley, who is the founding partner at Brandsmiths, a firm really making waves in the world of IP. Lawyers Coach is brought to you by Client Talk and Hansard Coaching. 
If you're a lawyer and would like to take part in Lawyers Coach, please visit our website, lawyercoach.co.uk, for further details. And you can also join the conversation on our LinkedIn group, Lawyers Coach. If there are any topics you'd like to hear us discuss, then just get in touch.